You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. There it is. Is that it? I found my voice. Thank you. I don't remember the last time I forgot to turn my mic on, at least not when I'm preaching. So anyway, uh, I was wondering why everybody's just looking at me like, you know, kind of what's going on. So anyway, so last week, Nebuchadnezzar didn't, did not listen to God. God said, you're prideful, you're arrogant. And until you know that I'm the God who gives the kingdom and whatever kingdom to whomever I choose, uh, you're going to be humbled. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, makes the exact same mistake. The sin of the father turns to the son. So read with me, if you would, in Daniel chapter 5. We're talking about what God wants in our life and what it means to truly honor him. Look at Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says this, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. It was a who's who by invitation only. If you're somebody of importance, of significance, you got invited to this list. One of the, the lords, the elite of the land of, of Babylon. And in verse 2, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, he commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. And they drank wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron and wood and stone. So get the picture. The king's throwing a party. And his father, his predecessor, had conquered Israel and had deported many captives from that land. In fact, had continued to and had taken out uh, sacred vessels that were used in worship of God and had put them in his own treasury, kind of a sign that his gods were more powerful than the, the God of heaven. And now in the middle of this feast, when they're making merry and throwing a big party, he says, bring me those vessels out. It would have been an absolute affront to God. And from those very vessels, you know, they're, you know, cheers everyone into the God of gold and let's drink from this cup. It was an absolute affront to the God of heaven. And in that moment, the Bible says that a hand, fingers appeared and wrote a phrase on the side of the wall. Today we would say it was absolutely supernatural. Today we would say it was magic. But he and all of his lords see this. They're partying it up, and all of a sudden they see a hand, presumably a good size, and writing in letters, four words, a phrase. And the Bible says that he could not understand it. In fact, nobody in the land could interpret it. And that literally it created, he got caught in that fight or flight zone, and he was flighting. He was fleeing. He was afraid. The Bible says he lost, changed color. You know, we would know today the blood drained out of his face. His arms went limp. His knees began to knock. He was in such terror that his body began to, to alter in that moment. And he called in all of his, his wise men and all of the astrologers and all the soothsayers and all those that we've talked about the last couple of weeks. They couldn't translate for him or explain what this meant. Apparently, he, unlike his father, was not into dreams. 
maybe God had sent him a dream that he ignored it. We don't know, but you know, God always knows how to get on our radar. He always knows how to break into our world when we're ignoring him, get our attention, and make us deal with him. And uh, dreams apparently were the channel of his father, but Belshazzar must have been a little more hard-headed. He needed a little bit more show and tell, and so God brings a hand to write on the wall. No one could explain it. And then the queen comes, probably the queen mother, his mom, Nebuchadnezzar's wife, probably still alive. She comes and says, Belshazzar, don't, don't fret. Today we'd say, don't stress, don't worry, relax. There's one who, when your father's reign, could explain dreams and in whom the spirit of the gods exist. His name is Daniel. Once again, I don't know why they don't figure it out, but Daniel's the first guy you should ask wisdom from, not the last guy. So it's only after no one can explain it. He brings Daniel in, and the king proclaims. He says, if anybody can read this writing and explain to me what this is, then, then I will give them a robe of purple. I will give them a gold chain around their neck, and I'll make them the number three leader in the land. Today, it would be like saying, I'll give you a Ferrari, I'll give you a $100,000 bonus, and I'll bump you to the, you know, the house, you know, the speaker of the house, if you will, and you're going to get a pay grade, and you're going to get staff. You're, you're going to be set for life if you can interpret this. And at that point, we read the next part of the story in verse 17. Daniel comes in, and then Daniel answered and said before the king, this is gutsy, but here's what he says, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. King, I'm not interested. I'm not doing this for a pay raise and some gift. He says, nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Daniel has to fill Belshazzar in on the whole state of affairs with his father. He said, look, the God of heaven, the God of the universe, this God that you don't know him by name like we do, he's the one that exalted your father. He's the one why you're on the throne right now. And then Daniel proceeds to tell him how his father had lost the kingdom for seven years in the whole story that we talked about last week. Fills him in on what he's missing. And then Daniel comes and says in verse 22 this. He says, And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk from them. You've made an affront to God is what he's saying. This God you've exalted yourself against. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, of iron, of wood and stone, which do not see, they can't hear, and they don't know anything. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored." You have not honored him. Well, the rest of the story goes that very night. He loses a kingdom. He loses his life. 
and Darius the Mede comes and takes over the throne. I want to talk about what it means for you and for me to honor God. As we've talked all along the way, if we've, if we've learned anything in the book of Daniel, is that God oversees and rules, rules over all the affairs of people, of humanity. He is the one that is absolutely in control of all. And God made sure that Nebuchadnezzar knew that. He was being gracious to him, reaching down to him, teaching him what he did not know. Because God was speaking to the whole land that I'm right here. I want to be known. I want you to know me, but you're going to have to follow me and not follow these other gods. And Nebuchadnezzar's own son didn't get the memo. Well, he got it, but he chose to ignore it. So first thing I want you to recognize this morning is that God expects everyone to honor Him. God expects everybody to honor Him. No, nobody is exempt in this. Even people who aren't Christians, don't believe in God, even atheists, God expects to honor Him. See, Belshazzar was not a God-fearing man. He was not a man who believed in the one true God. He was, today we would say, he was not a Christian. He didn't even pretend. He didn't go to church. He, he didn't read a Bible, if you will. He wasn't faking it. He was not at all interested. He was completely interested in all of the various idolatries and gods of the, of the land, of the world. And yet God held him accountable in that. You see, it's not like... Uh, it's not as if someone only becomes accountable to God or has to glorify God once you become a child of God or a follower of Jesus. God expects everybody to honor and to glorify Him, even if you've never surrendered your life. That's His full expectation. Now, that's a little different for you and me. If you work at, at Company X where you work, you are responsible to follow the rules and to do what your supervisor and your company expects of you to do that's entailed in your job. The other company across town, those other guys, that other team, has no authority over you. They can't call you up on the phone. They can't send you an email. Hey, I need this report by Friday. You're like, yeah, right. I'm not on your payroll. You're, you know, the kids would say, you're not my boss. You know, there's no authority. So what we're discovering in this is that God claims to have authority over the life of every single person on this planet. Now that may be easy for most of you, and I'm sure that it is. That's a challenge for most people in this world, but is God fair to do this? Absolutely He is. I mean, He is the one, as we just read, in whose hand He held Belshazzar's breath. God is such a powerful God. We're like this person. Have you ever found a baby bird on the ground or a little a butterfly or something? You know, maybe something hanging on with life. I mean, you literally could, could crush it. You could help it. You could do all kinds of things. And God, to God, we're all like that. That He holds our whole life in the very palm of His hands. Because the Bible teaches that God made this world and He created it. It belongs to Him, as I've said before. He owns the title deed to everything in this universe. I have, a, I have several canoes, and I've bought a couple of kayaks recently, and I've made this trailer that I can put them all on. I think the picture will be up on the screen here in a second. 
And uh, I, my, my, you guys know I love to camp, right? And so I've done the backpacking thing. So my latest kick is to do a little bit of the canoeing thing. And so, you know, I, I had this little small utility trailer and like, how am I going to get all these canoes and kayaks to the to the, the river or the lake or whatever. And so I built a, a couple weeks ago, Nathaniel and I jumped in and I put upright. So I've got like a triple decker trailer. So if you see anybody driving down the road, you know, with lots of boats on their side, it's probably me, kind of a clown circus. And I got a couple of canoes I strap on top, another one that re rehabbed here, and a couple of kayaks, I'm not quite done. Anyway, so that's our little, our little deal. And we're gonna have some fun this summer doing some canoe camping. So here's the thing. That trailer belongs to me. Well, my wife and me, so her, her opinion matters as every bit as much as mine does. But I could do with it what I want. I could leave it. I could stick it out in the rain. I could put it aside. I could create my little Pierce Museum, you know, and sell Pierce's tickets for the rest of their life. Come look what granddad built, because none of you would pay to come see it. Well, they probably wouldn't either. I could paint it in gold. I could silver plate it. It's mine. I could do whatever on earth I want with it. I could take a chainsaw to it, a hacksaw to it. It belongs to me. It's mine. The only thing I can't do with it is break the laws in New York State. So I got to get it registered and inspected. You know, that's the only authority that anyone has over my trailer. Well, it's the same way with God. God created this world and he owns everything in it, including all the people. And God's full expectations are that this world would honor him. So not being a believer in God, not being a follower of Jesus, is no excuse. Ignorance of the law, you know, is no excuse whatsoever. So I want us to, number one, for you and I to wrestle with and to realize that fact that God is not only watching his children, but he's watching all the people of the world, and he expects everyone absolutely to obey him. Second thing I want you to recognize is we are accountable to God for the light that he gives us. We're accountable for the light that he, he gives us. You see, Daniel goes, God instrumentally, as we talked about it, Israel failed to represent God well and to proclaim his name to the nations, to the world. And so what does God do? In one generation time, he picks a man and picks his, his friends with him, and they rise up through the ranks to literally their advising kings, to God speaking to the king of the land and spreading forward the knowledge and who God is and this incredible God who's just and who's true and who's right and holds people accountable and rules over everything. So God put that knowledge knowledge out there. And in one generation past Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar decreed to all the land this. I mean, I don't know how he ruled his kingdom. I don't know what he was like as a father. I don't have a clue. Kids, let me tell you, let me gather you around. What, what, this was crazy stuff. I mean, these stories in early Daniel are absolutely amazing. But Daniel made it clear to Belshazzar, you knew all of this. You, you knew that God was in charge of your dad. You know that your dad, right, was up on that, that rooftop and looking out over all that he had built, taking pride and claiming it as his own, ignoring the God of heaven. You knew that it cost him his mental sanity for seven years. You knew that he lost the kingdom. Kind of gutsy move for Daniel in that moment. But he said, you ignored all of that truth, all of that light, all of that, that you right in front of you could have known. And God held Belshazzar accountable to that. 
I'm saying that to say this, that God, we are accountable, every one of us, to the light that God has given us. That goes, not, goes for not only us here in this room, that goes for every single person that's ever walked this planet. Listen to what Romans chapter 3 says. It won't be on your screen, so just listen. The Bible says this, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They hold that truth down. I think Belshazzar was doing that. For what can be known about God is plain to them because He's shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And here's the bottom line. So they are without excuse. Without excuse. That's what Romans 1 says. Actually, not Romans 3. They're without excuse. Here's what it says in plain English. That God is angry at the sin of all of humanity because there's enough evidence in all of the world and just walking outside and seeing the creation of the world around us. There's enough evidence in biology. There's enough evidence in the microscope when we dial in and see the amazing things of life. There's enough evidence in mathematics. There's enough evidence in chemistry. There's enough evidence in nature. There's enough evidence in astronomy. There's enough evidence all around us that should convince anyone that there is a God in heaven, that there's no way that this, any of this happened by accident, to the degree that every person that walks this planet is without excuse. Nobody can say, well, God, you didn't really let me in on the secret. Sometimes people will say, well, I, I'll believe in God when he makes it really plain and clear. And God's kind of like, dude, I wrote it in the sky. What do you want? Like, it's right there. I'm here. Hello. This is, you know, real. And so what God does is, is He's given the whole universe enough light, not enough light to save us, but enough light to convince us that He's real. And when you and I step into that light and we say, God, I don't know, but there's something on out there that's bigger than me. And if you're God or whatever you're called, I want to know you. God responds to that and He gives us more light. And He gives us more light. And we take those steps forward. Ultimately, we take those steps, we hear about Jesus, and we discover that we're sinners in the middle of that, and that God loves us and sent Jesus to die for us, and we surrender our life to Him. That's the way we yield our life and honor the God of heaven. Ultimately, that's the honor that God is looking for when we trust His path of salvation, Him to become Lord of our life, His Son, Jesus, and that's when we have a relationship with Him. But literally, all of us are accountable for the light that God gives us. Now, I don't know what happened with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. It sounds to me like, like Nebuchadnezzar at least explained that to his son. I don't know. I will say there's a warning in here, parents, for you and for me, that we need to get our faith right early on because our kids are at stake. You know, Belshazzar, even if dad told him about this, Belshazzar had presumably had a lifetime of idols and sorceries and all kinds of stuff that are dishonoring to God. And, and parents, we know how this works. We have to work hard to pass along the good stuff to our kids, right? The bad stuff, they just kind of get by osmosis. I wish it wasn't that way. I really do. They pick up our bad habits way easier and just 
You know, when we're not even looking, we have to like, oh, let's do this the right way. So this is a warning to us. We're seeing the sins of the Father revisited on the Son, the exact same sin. But this time, God says, there's no mercy. You've had lots of light, Belshazzar. You've had your first and second and third chances. Your time has come due. So respond, you personally respond to the light that God is giving you at any given moment, at any given time. And the people that you're reaching out to, respond to the light that, that God is putting in front of you. Third thing I want you to notice this morning as we think about what it means to honor God is that we dishonor God when we give credence or we believe in or we follow other gods and superstitions and and superstitions, when we, when we give credibility to those things, when we believe in those things. You know, Daniel, when he explained this to him, he said, look, I can interpret that saying to you, and we'll look at that in a minute, but here's what's going on, king. Your time is up because you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron. I'm looking in verse 23. You, you've, you've ignored God and you've believed in all this other stuff, things that don't see, that don't hear and can't talk. You see, we as, as God's children should lay aside everything else in this world that we trust. And we, we should lay aside all superstitions that are in the world around us. I recently heard a story. It was a, a kind of a, 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 an overview training about how to understand worldview. And we could, I, you guys know I'm a little bit of a nerd in many ways, and I'm a little bit of a missions nerd, theology nerd, if you will. And it was a great help to just kind of process and think through, you know, how do you share the gospel and engage people of different cultures? And uh, anyway, the illustration that was used was um, a, a, a church that was filled predominantly with uh, people of Native American descent. And uh, they were followers in Christ and followers of Jesus. Uh, they would say amen to the Bible like we would. And they were going out, a group of them going out to cut down a Christmas tree, a tree that they wanted to come and bring as kind of a celebration and, you know, to honor Jesus in the process. But before they did that, they had a little ritual that they did. And they spoke to the tree and they asked forgiveness for the tree that they were about to take its life and that they, they recognized that it was you know, painful and they were asking forgiveness for, for that tree that they were doing that, but said, but it's going to, you're going to go for a good cause. This is going to be to honor Jesus. And they continued on in that and then they cut the tree down. Well, Sean, that's crazy. Why were they bowing down and they weren't worshiping the tree? The problem was that their worldview had not quite fully become Christian. They were true believers on their way to heaven, but someone either forgot to tell them or they hadn't quite accepted that a tree is a tree. It's not a sentient being. There's no spirit inside the tree. There's no apologies needed. You know, none of that that's going on. We would say, well, that's just superstitious. Well, in our culture, we may not have that, but how many of us grew up knocking on wood? You know where that comes from, right? It's, it's this whole idea that if you say something, you know, that you hope happens, that, well, let's don't bring bad luck to it, let's don't jinx it. It goes back to where an idea that the spirits were living in the walls in your home and you'd knock on wood to make the noise so they couldn't hear your, what you were hoping would come true and they wouldn't be able to undermine what you wanted to happen. 
You know, how many of us have done that as believers? How many of us, you know, have had a rabbit's foot or a good luck charm or we talk about luck or we do whatever our little three things? We're not talking hoping the football team wins to rub the bald head. You know, technically that counts. I'm not going, you know, on the, on the deep end here, but, but let's be honest. God's not impressed when we give credence to superstitions and things of, of other nature. The, the world around us more and more, and you guys have heard me talk about karma, it's more and more being an accepted thing, even in our secular, uh, science-based kind of worldview, if you will, and it, and it blows my mind, the idea that there's some other entity out there that could be organizing the affairs of people. It's just, it's not going to happen. So when we think about superstitions and other gods, the issue is very simple. It comes down to what you're trusting in, number one, and it comes down to the way the world around you works, your view of it. What are you trusting in? Well, I assure you, if you're trusting in karma, or if you're having trouble and you're now a follower of Christ and have trusted Christ last few years but haven't quite worked through that karma thing, Look, there's God in heaven that we trust that overrules the affairs of people as we're looking through with Daniel. And that's it. There is nothing else. Well, there's angels, but they're only going to do what God tells them to do. So don't look to them to do anything. There's demons and fallen angels, and they have authority, but you really can't trust them. There's no kind of cosmic karma in the world around us that's overseeing the affairs of men. You may or may not have noticed, but I've got a, a sizable little rock up here I brought in from outside. So uh, if you were really alert and not in the back row, you're like, why is there a rock up there? What in the world is that about? So I carried it in and everybody here, the worship team all knows I have show and tell every once in a while like, oh, here's a rock illustration coming in. Yep, sure is. So I pulled this out from the, the flower beds on the way in and uh, I put it there about a year ago. And uh, before that, it used to be in the woods beside my house. Now, I've had my eye on this rock for quite some time. I've walked by it. You know, I've seen it all day long. And I'll tell you, it hasn't moved. It hasn't done a single thing but sit right there. And it was in the exact same spot in that flower bed that I literally a year ago put it. And it was before that, it was where it was sitting. Now, guys, the stars around us don't do anything. Reading your astrology doesn't do anything whatsoever. The, the rocks and the trees around us have no will. They have no thinking capability. They rule over nothing. There's no special tea leaves going on here that we get anything out of. They're dumb rocks. There's outside of people and God and either good angels or bad angels. There ain't nothing else. Like, that's it. So if you're trusting in anything other than God to take care of you or to protect you, you're putting your faith in something about as good as a rock. I mean, it's really as good as it gets. Well, Sean, what about animals and birds and puppy dogs? Well, yes, they're wonderful too. They're not rocks. But let's face it, they're a million miles from where we are. And I am sure not going to trust the fate of my, the universe and my life to my dog. All right? I'm, I'm not going there. It's just, it's dumb. It really is dumb. So what we're discovering is God takes notice of this, guys. Now, the world around us doesn't get this, but they're dishonoring God with everything, belief in karma and all of this magical, superstitious, oh, I got my lucky number this week, so I'm going to play it or whatever. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. Ultimately, if you're not trusting in God, you're definitely not trusting in angels. You're really putting stock in demons. You just don't know it. It's really what you're doing.
And that's what Paul tells us in Corinth. Hey guys, don't bow down to idols. Don't be eating meat to idols because I really don't want you hanging around demons because they lie behind all of that. So stop dishonoring God. If you've done that in the past, confess it. Admit it. God, forgive me. I've not trusted you. I've put in stock in other things. It's not just play. It's just get rid of it. Throw it out of your life. It's nonsense because God notices and he pays attention. Second way we dishonor God is not just giving credence to or following other gods or superstitious and all of that stuff in the world around us, but the second thing that we do is we take credit for what we've done or accomplished in life or what we've experienced. That was Nebuchadnezzar's problem. He looked up on the roof. Look at, look at this great land that I've built all by myself for my glory. And God's like, yeah, I don't think so. Tonight, you are turning into a cow. Well, in your mind, you are. Same with Belshazzar. Daniel says, you have lifted yourself up, in verse 23, against the Lord of heaven. You have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, and you've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. As we dishonor God, when we take credit for the stuff that we do. I'm excited about the degrees you have. I'm excited about your accomplishments at work. I grieve at the difficulties and challenges you face at work and life. The things you're able to do, whether it's raising kids or being an awesome grandparent or incredible in ministry, but there's really only one person in the world who gets credit for any of that, guys. There's only one. It's God. We've talked before. There's only room for one hero in your story, and it's not you. It's God. God is the ultimate one who gets credit for all of that. And you and I need to regularly remember that, even though all of us in this room would probably say, yeah, I know that, I get that. We need to be reminded of it and we slide away from that, and we subtly begin to kind of strut our stuff a little bit, you know? And these two chapters ought to remind us that God expects to be honored. He expects for us to have gratitude. He expects us to look to Him and say, God, thank you that I even got a chance to do this. Everything that you have in your life is because of what God has given you. Yes, you're responsible for hard work and you should do those things and, and leverage and, and make the most of all that's in front of you, but you would have never had opportunities. You would have never had the brain power, the physical power, the connections that you had, the opportunities in front of you were not a God in heaven who superintends and rules over all the affairs of people. And so the best antidote I know to a heart that tends to go toward pride and toward honoring ourselves, to dishonoring God, the best antidote I know is gratitude, saying, God, thank you. Not, thank you for how great you've made me, God, because I'm really awesome. And somehow I don't think that's quite what God's looking for, but thank you, God, for the privilege that you could use me. God didn't expect Nebuchadnezzar to walk around and not be king and to act like he wasn't in charge or to act like he didn't know what was going on, he had to have been absolutely been a phenomenal leader, military leader, administrator, political leader. And he didn't need him to walk around just like, well, I'm no good and not worth anything. No, that shaming stuff is not what it means to, 
to honor God. It means to recognize what God's put in us, but give Him full credit and use it for the, His glory and the benefit and blessing of the others around us. So for you and for me, everything in our life should be about honoring God. In a few minutes, we're going to receive an offering as a church. We put our tithes and our gifts in there to honor God. God, you've given me what I've given, what all of this, and I'm giving back out of obedience to you. That's what obedience is. It's a way of honoring God in the middle of it. it it's, it's serving Him. It's, it's following His uh, principles and what He desires for us. It's loving Him with all of our heart because we, we honor Him. God expects that out of us above everything. And I'll tell you a secret. If you don't honor Him, He will come and He will speak into your world one way or another, not because he doesn't like you, not because he's a egomaniac that somehow is like, oh, how dare they? I can't, I can't believe this. God is not at all insecure about any of our stupidity and our fall, fallacies and foolishness. But what he does is he loves us and he says, look, it's really dumb for you to be prideful and arrogant in what you've accomplished. Yeah, it's awesome, but why are you taking credit for my work? In the academic world, it's called plagiarism. It's actually against the law. Like you can get in trouble for it. In God's world, it's even worse. So give honor to God in your heart today. Obey Him in what He tells us to do. And look to Him for everything in your life. Last thing, and I'm done quickly. The, the fifth thing that I want us to know is, is God will let you and me dishonor Him for a time but eventually the bill comes due. It's like a credit card to some degree. God will let us go along for a while and dishonor Him. But eventually He says, enough. That's what He did with Nebuchadnezzar. It's what He did with Belshazzar. It's what He did with David. David committed sin on the rooftop, lusted after a woman, ended up committing murder and intrigue and all kinds of stuff, and finally God said, enough. And he sent Nathan and pointed his bony finger at him and said, you're the man. That's what God did with Peter when Peter was being prejudiced and he was sitting only with the Jews and not being living in the new covenant, the new, the new world that God had, had set aside. And he felt like these other Jews were going to look at him if he was sitting with the Gentiles. And so he scooted back and Paul went to him like, Peter, what are you doing? That's not true to the gospel. He said enough. He was dishonoring God. King Herod, who was not a God follower, was on his throne. And the Bible tells us in Acts that he was, uh, the people just kind of in, in plaudits and just praising him said, the, out of the words that he was speaking, said, they're the, the words of a God and not man. And the Bible says he was struck down and that he was eaten with worms in his belly, probably had some sort of infestation. Josephus, the historian, I love how, we've talked about this before, but how archaeology and history, the more holes they dig in the ground around the world, the more it proves that the Bible is true. But Josephus, a historian from that time period, writes way more about it, that, that, that event with Herod, and said he was dressed in silver, his garments, not silver color, silver. And it was a sunny day and a shining day and gleaming and just bright. And, and the, the crowd was just giving him accolades. And because he didn't deflect that and give glory to God, God said, enough. The bill came due. So my point is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, God will let you make a mess of your life. But the bill's going to come due.
He'll let you dishonor him for a season, but he loves you too much to let that go on forever. And he's going to lovingly confront you. He will do it firmly. It will be justly. It will not be an excess, but it will be a strong word or a strong action because God doesn't want you to live in a delusion that makes you think you're more than you really are. He wants you to know Him and experience His grace and His joy and His truth in your life. And if you are a person who has never really trusted Christ and surrendered to Him, and you're still trying to figure God out, I want you this morning to know that God expects you to honor Him. And the light that He's giving you this morning, and, and I'm sure through other relationships and other things that you've heard, is that He wants you to take steps towards Him, to know Him, to believe in Him, to test Him. Faith should not be blind. It shouldn't be just this, you know, jump into nothingness. It should be a measured with an understanding of, of reasonableness. It's faith nonetheless. But I challenge you to take those next steps if you have not surrendered to Christ to consider the things that we've talked about that are in our small groups that are here on Sunday morning or maybe conversations you've had because the day is coming when the bill comes due. You can only live on credit so long. So this morning, as you think about your life, where are you when it comes to honoring God? What is God trying to convey into your world? Is He trying for you to be reminded to give gratitude toward Him, to give Him credit? Is He trying to challenge you? Maybe, maybe you've got somebody in your life that's not giving honor to God, and you're struggling for the bill coming due in their life. You're struggling to watch that, and you don't want that to happen, and I get that. But God loves them too much to just let them run down that road and not hold them accountable. And sometimes people have to experience some of those things for them to discover reality. My prayer is, is that they end up being more like Nebuchadnezzar, that God, after two or three times, they're like, what was I thinking? But regardless, what's God speaking into your heart this morning? What response do you need to make? Do you need to step forward and surrender your life to Jesus? Do it this morning. If you need to take a step forward and simply give gratitude and be like, God, I haven't been giving you credit for some things. Forgive me. Whatever God's speaking in your heart, our worship team's going to come up and lead us a response song, and I'm going to pray, but you respond to Him. Pray with me. Father in heaven, I am so grateful for the truth that you give us. Lord, we know that we're accountable for the light that you give us, and we have even more than what Belshazzar had. Lord, the world around us has even more than that. You have made things so clear. The Old Testament prophets and worthies, the Bible tells us, desired to peer and to see these things, but they weren't able to, but we see them. We look back and have all of history, all of your word, and our own even experiences, and you have blessed us by seeing what they could not. Lord, help us to live fully honorable before you. And God, I pray that you would help us as a church to be that testimony, not just to Gilderland, not just to New York, not the capital region, but to the world. Father, we're, you expect us, just like Israel, and just like you expected Nebuchadnezzar, to proclaim the truths of your majesty, that you're a God who's holy, who's just, but a God who's merciful and loving and who will redeem if people will but just trust Him. 
trust you and trust your son, Jesus. God, help us, I pray, to live fully in what you've called us to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.